0: When life gives you lemons, what do you do with them?
1: Over here at The Squeeze, we We talk talk
0: about about it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Squeeze.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Another Wednesday.
1: Or whatever day it is you're listening (laughs) to this.
0: This this would be true. Um, I'm Carl Tay.
1: I'm Boy Tay. And if you are watching on YouTube right now, Highly recommend. We will see that we also have our little angel, Remington.
0: Yeah. Lily was asleep on the couch and felt like joining us today.
1: No, she never wants to. But yeah. How we doing today, folks?
0: We doing. We doing, we doing good. Um, I did have something fun to share. Well, what? first of all, we had our second solo episode last week. We did. How'd you guys like it? What do we think? Let us know.
1: Yeah. Send us an email or...
0: Leave a comment down below. Yeah. And let us know what you thought. Yeah. Um, I was going to share, though, that I mean, I've, we've talked about it on here before, but I've honestly, like since our wedding, I've really struggled with working out, mm. with trying to get back in the gym or in a class and do something. I just have like not been motivated or wanted to, but I went for the first time in a while this morning and took a workout class and it was lovely.
2: Let's oh, go.
0: It was great. I Crushed missed it. You missed it.
1: What what was it? A bar class? Yeah. How was it? It was, it was tough?
0: Good. I mean, yeah, of
1: course it's hard. Yeah. Bar
0: is hard. People don't think that bar classes are hard because, like, it's very, like, is Minimal it? Minimal like, movement? Isometric oh. movement. Like, it's, I don't know if that's the word. Don't quote me. Sorry.
2: Okay.
1: Workout
0: people. It's just, like, very, like, little, small movements. It's not, like.
1: Yeah, but that burns.
0: Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, there's me and then I'm, it was me and five other ladies who the youngest was probably, like, 50. Wow. And they're all like, I'm literally holding like these one pound weights because I was like, I'm not going to survive today. I could have done two, but I did one. These ladies are literally holding like five pound weights, if not more, like doing all these things. It's impressive. they're, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it was very humbling to be honest. Um, You'll
1: work your way up.
0: But it felt really good. And I felt good to be back. And it was definitely like good. I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's very, working out is so good for, your mental health, um, and we've just been so busy lately that I feel like I needed to get back in there yeah. and do it. So if you've been contemplating getting back to working out, this is your sign. Highly recommend. Come do it with me. We will. We'll do it together. We're in this together.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Go team. Proud of you. Thanks, honey.
1: Well, ladies and gents, everyone listening, you are in for a treat this week. Because this episode is powerful. Yeah. We were very, very excited when we found out that um, Mr. Kevin Hines was going to come on our show and tell his story. Um, We honestly don't want to get into the details too much of telling Kevin's story because only he can... Tell it like he we won't, does. yeah, and, we want
0: to do it justice. Recapping it for yeah, you right now.
1: Yeah. He has an unbelievable testimony and um um it's just powerful. It's moving, it's touching. And he's for those for those listening and watching that don't know, Kevin jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge um and survived. He's Less than 1% of people to survive. Jumping off the Golden Gate. Um, Yeah. And now. He.
0: Travels the world. Sharing his. His story. And helping people. uh, You know. How to look out for. People who may be suicidal. Motivating people to. Speak up if they are. uh, Just lots of things that. He. Will. Kind of dive into. Um, But. If you missed our last episode, um, at the end of it, we had Dr. Chase Anderson on and he, we kind of sat down with him and dove into like the basic questions of suicide and suicidal ideation, what they are, myths about them, symptoms, uh, what to do if we think someone's suicidal, what to do if someone tells you they are, things like that. Yeah. And just to kind of help better prepare us for this episode and a few of our other upcoming ones that we have um so if you haven't watched that yet i highly encourage you to either go now and watch it or after this episode if you still have some questions obviously kevin answers some questions but um, chase does a very good job at putting things into layman's terms and not using big scientific words that confuse yeah. people um he works with children so i mm-hmm. think that was probably a big help but For sure he was lovely so after this episode Head on back to our last one.
1: It's like the last 15 minutes or so yeah. of last week's episode.
0: Yeah. So that'll help because we definitely learned some stuff. I learned for the first time interviewing Kevin that you can be chronically suicidal. I had no clue that that was a thing. Yeah. I guess I was just very ignorant to the thought of after someone has an attempt. Like, I I never thought about and what happened after that.
1: And not to share too much, but like in, you know, Kevin's story... He instantly regretted Mm it. So you just like, you'd think, well, if he, you know, went to do that and he instantly regretted it. Yeah. You would just, you just assume that he wouldn't struggle with that thought ever again. yeah. But that's just not the case. Yeah. Uh, Tons and tons of people struggle with chronic Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation. Yeah. Um, And Dr. Chase talks about there's two different kinds. Yeah of suicidal ideation there's passive and active and active yeah but yeah that was that was a really great thing to learn and be more aware of
0: yeah yeah so we are just truly so excited we've been so excited to air this episode and share it with you guys because the story is powerful and we learned a lot i'm excited for you guys to listen feel inspired and yeah i hope you enjoy it
1: yeah it's amazing grab your tissue box
0: no yeah. We'll we'll see you on the other side.
1: Okay. Kevin. Yes, Taylor. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for being here. We are fans of yours, truly inspired by your story, um, and just really never thought we would be able to get people like you on this show, so... That's, I mean, that was our biggest goal and it just feels surreal sitting here and having you in front of us.
3: Oh, it means the world to me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, you are both loved for all that you do too, so (laughs) we're fans, so thank you very much.
1: Thank you. So before we get into all the fun, we kick off each episode with a game of Citrus Got Real. And in this jar, this lemon jar are random questions. And if you don't mind, could you pull one for us? Okay. And read it. And um, I'd love to hear the answer. Okay. They're very, very serious questions. Okay.
3: <laughs> if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? I'm Great so glad question. that was the question because I have question. an immediate an amazing answer. Ace Ventura, <laughs> detective. Yeah. I would watch it over. And I, I mean, I did. I watched it probably a thousand. I am not your personal entertainer. Oh, God, I love that movie so much. And I yes. love the great Jim Carrey. Uh, he is a legend. Oh, and man. I, I mean, I would watch any of his movies over and over again. But that in particular is the one. It's a good one. Yeah. That's well, a good one.
0: I yeah. loved that you knew that right away. I know.
3: Didn't even need to think about it. I love the Truman show, but that's a little hard to watch because like my brain lived that life. So, right. yeah. you know, psychosis
1: is a is a terrible thing. I've so. seen you also talk about some like quotes and stuff that Jim Carrey has yeah. said. Yeah. So not only did you admire him as an actor, but also think he he's kind of smart. He's very
3: smart and his art is beautiful and he is extremely talented. One of the things that uh, caught my attention to him is that like, well, first of all, uh, his former wife, uh, uh, and daughter are related to me through marriage, so oh. I always say I'm kind of related to Jim Carrey. Love yeah. that, but but um, but he's my he is my uh, absolute favorite actor of all time. Wow, yeah, yeah. and he's a fascinating human. So fascinating yeah. human, yeah. genius. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow, what would yours be? What would mine be? Oh, yours man. would be some Denzel Washington movie. Oh, it would be what's <laughs> the one with Dakota that you love
1: Man on Fire?
3: Yeah, he'd go. love that movie. Equalizer Seventeen. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do. I know. I'm trying to think. I do. I do love Denzel. He can't really can't go wrong. do wrong. Um, yeah, Man on Fire definitely is a go to. Um, but it's also, also a sad movie. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. I want to be sad yeah. that often. Or a Sandler
0: movie. <laughs> I think mine might be Anchorman if we're going with like the happy ones. Okay. That might be mine. Oh, Anchorman.
1: Yeah. Yes. That is your like go to airplane fairy. movie. Yeah. All right. I like it. Well, my dear, I'm going to pass this to you because I know you got a lot to say.
0: I do have a lot to say. Um, so Taylor kind of touched on just how excited we are for you to be here. And as like we've known your story, but obviously doing some more research into you and just your whole story. Your story is very parallel to a close friend of mine that took his life in many ways. So I kind of feel like this is like a cool moment for me. And I apologize if I'm emotional. I'm also, uh, it's also my time of the month. So I'm a little <laughs> more emotional today as it is. Um, but I kind of think this is just a really cool moment for me because I feel like I'm getting to ask my friend Jared like questions that I haven't, I wasn't able to ask him. Because his outcome um, wasn't the same as yours. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm really excited. As emotional as I'm feeling, I'm just like really yeah. excited to be here to talk with you
3: about yeah. that. Very well said. Yeah, name was Jared. Yeah, may he rest in peace.
0: He's mm-hmm. over there on my um oh. on my desk. The bigger photo,
3: Jared. Um, we love you. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so obviously we're gonna get into your big story of um, you attempting to take your life, but I want to kind of start from the beginning because I think that's also important to. Learn about you, and I think it is a really that's
1: where you like. Sorry to spoiler alert, but that's where you like see so many similarities between like yeah Jared and yeah Kevin.
0: Yeah, so yeah, if you start not start from the beginning, but what was like home life like for you? Because I know you were kind of born into um, an unstable family environment.
3: Yeah, uh, to to say the least, uh, I I was born to biological parents. I'm adopted who had, uh, after they had me and my brother uh, succumbed to severe uh, substance use issues Mm. and uh, alcohol and hardcore drugs. And in my infancy and with my brother, who was 10 months older than me, you know, shotgun babies, uh, Irish twins, actually, sorry. And um, I think, I I know that my birth parents loved us, Mm. but they had no resources. Mm. They had no help. They had no family with them, and they struggled every day to survive. They had no money. Um, we we were born in abject poverty. We lived in the worst neighborhood in San Francisco then, the worst neighborhood there today. Mm. Um, we, we 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 when we were born, we were in in the first few months of our life living in crack motels, mm. the places you pay for by the hour, and if you don't, you're out. And mom and dad did whatever they had to do to pay on that hour by that hour, mm. however illegal that they had to do it. Yeah, They did score and sold drugs every day. It's my understanding that my birth mom potentially had to sell herself. Mm. That was our life.
2: Wow.
3: And that meant that they neglected their two children all day long to go do, score, and sell drugs. Yeah. Leaving infants on a box spring for a mattress over a concrete slab floor. Had we have fallen, we would have cracked our heads open and died. Had we have touched the dangerous drug paraphernalia-sharp metal objects on the bed, it could have killed us. Until one day, one seedy motel clerk made what I have always called his most unseedy decision. Mm -hmm. He heard our screams and cries of pure neglect one too many times, and he called the police. And the police came in with child protective services, and they swooped me and my brother up, smelling sour and putrid of our own filth, and they placed us into foster care. Um, in, the form- in our formative months, we were fed what mom and dad could steal, Kool-Aid, Coca-Cola, and sour milk was our first diet. It's why I have so many gut health problems today. Mm. And, it, you know, they didn't have the science back then that we have today. About gut to brain health and about how your gut microbiome houses and creates all of your bodies and brain serotonin and dopamine, affecting your mental well-being. Yeah, imagine being fed from birth those severely processed and poisonous foods. Yeah. Um. So I was damaged from the very beginning of my life, emotionally, mentally, physically, and in foster care. My brother and I are bouncing around with one, one, one idea that we're going to be adopted together, but that's rarely what happens and that's not what happened here. Mm.
2: Mm.
3: We both got a vicious strain of bronchitis in one of the foster homes and he died. Oh. Seemingly right next to me. And I immediately developed a severe abandonment issue and uh, that I that I have until today. Every time somebody I love dies, I feel like they're leaving me on purpose and I can't shake it no matter how much therapy I do. And I do a lot of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was a sickly child, and my brother passed away. I kept bouncing around in different homes, but unlike him, I got really lucky. Mm. I landed in the Hines home, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know my last name, so this works out. Yeah, Debbie and Pat Hines made me their son, mm. and this was very special because they they could have had natural-born children. Yeah, but they took in three kids from three separate homes. Wow. Kids who had nothing and no one, kids who were born to parents who had mental struggles and drug use issues, and they saved our lives. yeah, they saved us. Um, they're not perfect, they're flawed, but they're beautiful, and they saved us. and um you know i'm I'm mixed. my birth dad was half Mexican, and half Italian. Mm. my birth mom was Jamaican, black, African, Arawak, Indian, Portuguese, Scottish, Irish, English and Sephardic Jew. And my brother's black, my sister's white. And I always say when people saw us, they were very confused. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they made that known. But, you know, with all the racism we experienced, we didn't care because we were happy. Yeah. And growing up in that household was probably the most beautiful thing at the time that could ever happen to me. Yeah. And so I grew up, you know, and things were going great until they weren't.
0: So something, as you guys know, that has been a huge part of my mental health journey, Taylor's mental health journey, journeys as individuals and as a couple has been therapy. Amen. And that is why I am so excited to share our next sponsor with you guys, which is Cerebral. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. I love that Cerebral is 100% online because that means you have no excuse. You have to go. Like, there's no, oh, I don't have time to go drive. It's too long of a drive. No, you can do it on your lunch break. You can do it before work, after work. And it's honestly just, it's convenient.
1: Yeah, it's convenient and they have great therapists.
0: Yeah, and its it'll just keep you accountable too. So we highly, highly encourage that you guys check out Cerebral because therapy has just done wonders for us. And we know it'll do the same for you. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving our listeners 15% off their first month of online therapy, medication, mm-hmm. or both. Get started at cerebral.com slash podcast and use code the squeeze to make 2024 your best year yet. That's cerebral cerebra dot com slash podcast and use code the squeeze. Offer is only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. See site for details. Get going on that therapy.
1: At what age were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder? When did you realize that?
3: So, you know, like I said, we're we're growing up and, and loving life and thriving, right? You know, high school WCL wrestling champion football team went to state on the speech and debate team for two days before they kicked me off, but I was there, <laughs> They're loss. Um, but at 17 and a half, it all came crumbling down. My brain broke. And my brain broke on a stage in a theater show in front of 1,200 people, a sold out audience of one of Mr. John Fennell's plays. And he was the theater director he was my hero. He was my mentor. He was my friend. He was my second father figure. And I'm on that stage playing the character Gatch in the show, How to Succeed in Business, without really trying. Who's And Gatch is like this floundering businessman. He's got the wife at home, but he's messing around with all the secretaries in the office. You mm-hmm. know, that guy. And I'm wearing one of my dad's old suits and ties that they'd hemmed to fit me because he's 6'1 and I'm not. Mm. <laughs> um, um, and... I looked out into the audience, and now I, I, I've been having a hard time mentally for a while. Okay. I've been having these symptoms that I didn't know were called symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paranoid delusions, hallucinations, uh, uh, depression, mania, uh, all of these things. Uh, panic attacks, mm-hmm. heart palpitations. But I didn't know what they were, so I was quiet about it. Mm-hmm. My family knew I was unwell. They didn't know why. Okay. I didn't know why. And I'm on that stage, and it, it, it's not even an intermission yet. And I have a complete mental breakdown and I begin to believe that 1,200 people are going to simultaneously rise, rush the stage and end my life. So I run off the stage and I run to the lobby and Mr. John Fennell meets me there. He is, he is, you know, uh, absurdly drunk. He could never bear to watch his show sober.
1: Oh, wow.
3: He had substance use disorder, just like my birth parents.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And he, he approaches me in a drunken super. He goes, Kevin, can you please finish the performance? It's not even intermission yet. What are you doing? And I just babbled incoherent nonsense the next 10 minutes. I couldn't make out three words in a row that made sense. John called my mom. Mm -hmm. And my mom came to pick me up. I'll never forget the look in her eyes because she, I I could see inside them that she saw within mine the depths of insanity brewing behind them. Yeah. She takes me to see my first psychiatrist And he diagnoses me with major depression. Mm. Puts me on those medications. I skyrocket into mania. He now knows I have bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Triply diagnosed by three separate doctors, including him. But I didn't want bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the term. Yeah, I didn't want to be labeled mentally ill. Mm -hmm. So for the next two years, I lied through my teeth about what I was really going through. So people wouldn't see me. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I, in effect, got great. That's something a lot of us are good at. Silencing my pain. Mm -hmm. And when you silence your pain and you bury all of your struggles, they only bubble and grow and fester uh, and, and, and until they burst. Yeah. In things like rage, aggression, violence, substance use disorder, eating disorder, suicidal thoughts, ideals, or actions. Yeah. And at 19, I couldn't keep it down anymore. Yeah. And I remember as as September rolled around of the year 2000, I was crying every day in my room. I was going to the bathroom mirror and self loathing every day and looking in the mirror and hating what I saw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was brutal. And and then I was hearing voices in my head telling me I had to die. Auditory hallucinations that I thought, were, 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 I mean, they were, they were so real. Yeah. I was seeing things that nobody else could see. I believe them to be the only reality, but I didn't tell anyone.
1: Not even your parents?
3: Not even. My, my, my dad and mom had divorced. I was living with okay. my father. He and I were fighting every day. Okay. Arguing, screaming matches that should have had the police call. It was, it was terrible. On September 24th, I sat in my room and I penned a note, a note to my mom, dad, brother, sister. I told them I loved them. I said, I was sorry. I asked for forgiveness. (laughs) I was going to take my life. And I had chosen the Golden Gate Bridge because I believed that that I had understood you died upon impact, which most people do. You know, people say that people go to the Golden Gate Bridge for its beauty and to die there. I think that's nonsense. This whole romanticism of suicide is, is uh, it's something people push to spread a narrative. Mm. It's not real. People go there because they are in the greatest amount of lethal emotional pain they've ever experienced. Yeah, And they just want that pain to stop. Yeah, they're hurt. They're hurt. I mean, let me ask you, what is the one thing you want to happen when you find yourself in the most excruciating physical pain you've ever had? What do you want it to do? disappear disappear that's physical pain relate that to brain pain yeah it's worse because everyone around you invalidates it yeah i can't see it so it can't be real yeah and so uh on september 25th i i convinced my father who who honestly did try to help me that day yeah i convinced my father that i was going to be okay Mm-hmm. And he drove me to City College. Never forget, he dropped me off at the kiddie corner off the side of City College campus. And he said, Kevin, I love you. Be careful. Mm-hmm. He said it every day. He knew. He, he didn't know I was going to do this. He, yeah. just, he just knew something was off. Yeah. He didn't know how to, how to, how to you know, nobody taught Pat Hines suicide prevention. Yeah. Nobody taught Pat Hines that when you have the inclination that someone is considering death by suicide, you must ask the questions, are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you made plans to take your life? And do you have the means? Mm -hmm. Those questions are proven to get a more honest answer than even the question, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking of self-harm? Because the term suicide is such a taboo and self-harm is by definition, not suicide. It's self-harm. Uh-huh. So and and people think, oh, you put the thought in their mind. That's not real. That doesn't happen. Right? Yeah. If the thoughts already there, if they're thinking there, about it. It's if it's there. not there, you're not going to implant it by asking the question. You're going to make sure they're safe.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but people don't know that. So yeah. So uh my dad picks me up or drops me off, and I go on a class at, at City College, I drop all of my courses with the counselor's department. They don't ask me one question. <laughs> Nine and a half units of twelve and a half units dropped in one moment. Not one question. No, who, what, why, where, when, how. Wow. I go to my last remaining class and I leave that class. I get on a muni train. Then I get on a bus and I'm sitting on this bus in the back seat, crying like a child, bawling like a baby. At this point, ambivalent, hoping one person will see my pain and ask me if I'm okay. Yeah. If something's wrong, can they help me? And as I'm sitting there crying, yelling aloud at the voices I'm hearing in my head. Leave me alone, but I don't want to die. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? And now 100 people are staring at me on a bus, but saying nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the only man to my left says to the guy next to him, what the hell's wrong with that kid while laughing at me, mm-hmm. laughing at my pain. Oh. The bus gets to the Golden Gate Bridge parking lot. 100 people deboard right there. I'm broken. I'm hoping the driver will see me. He says, come on, kid, get off the bus. I got to go. I walked right up to him. Waterfalls are now flowing from my eyes. Mm. He, he just motions for me to get off the bus. I walk across the span of the Golden Gate Bridge walkway. I pace back and forth for 40 minutes, crying like a child. Mm. Bikers, joggers, runners, tourists, patrol officers searching for suicidal people go by me twice.
1: And for those 40 minutes, you're waiting, hoping for anybody just one to person, see your One name. person, see me. Yeah.
3: Please, God, see me. Say something to me. I can't say it out loud. I can't verbalize it. Yeah, give me a sign. The voices in my head were so loud, beckoning. You must die. Jump now. You must just over and over again. And I remember, and this is something I don't often share, but I'll I'll share with you. I remember as an actor, I think you'll understand this. I remember uh, right when I found the particular light rail, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking of the film What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. Because John Fennell, my theater director, seven months before my attempt, died by his hands. Mm-hmm. It meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking of that film, What Dreams May Come, with Robin and how his wife passes away in the film. And she was his everything. And he ends up dying and he wants to go to hell to bring her to heaven. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's probably one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And I said, I said to myself, John, I'm coming for you. Mm. Delusionally, I was like, I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to get you and I'm going to bring you to heaven. Yeah. And then a woman from my left approaches me, blonde, curly hair, giant sunglasses that didn't fit her face. <laughs> I look at her and she smiles at me. I think She's going to ask me if I'm okay. I don't have to do this. Yeah. I don't have to die today. She pulls out a digital camera and says, Will you take my picta? Mm. I said, Sure. She posed several times. Gave her a camera back. She said, Thank you. And she walked away. And at that moment, I said to myself, The greatest lie I've ever told. Mm. Absolutely. No one cares. Mm-hmm. Mm. Everybody cared. Everybody cared. And the voice in my head beckoned jump now. And I did. Yeah. At the moment of free fall, instantaneous regret from my actions. And then 100% recognition that I just made the greatest mistake in my life and it was too late.
2: Yeah, oh.
3: I fell 250 feet, 25 stories, closing in on 80 miles per hour, nearing the speed of terminal velocity in four seconds. In those four seconds, I called out to God and begged him to live. Yeah. Mm. I hit the water, immediately shattered my T12, L1, L2 lower vertebrae into shards. Missed severing my spinal cord by two millimeters, went down 70 feet, and was drowning, and I didn't want to drown. All I wanted to do was live, Mm -hmm. but I thought it was too late. I frantically swam to the surface. I got closer and closer, and I thought, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. This is where I go. What have I just done? I remember saying to myself, Kevin, you can't die here. If you die here, no one will ever know you didn't want to. Yeah, No one will ever know you knew you made a mistake. I broke the surface of the water. I bobbed up and down and I prayed, God, please save me. I don't want to die. I made a mistake. On repeat, he heard me. mm -hmm. A woman driving by in a red car saw me go over the rail, called her friend in the Coast Guard, who happened to be manning the waters of the bridge at that moment. The only reason they got to me in a timely manner before I would set in hypothermia was because of that phone call. Yeah. In the water, I kept going down. I couldn't get back to the surface. Boots water logged, long sleep, clothing heavy. Mm. And I really think I'm gonna die here. Yeah. What did I do? And that's when something begins to circle beneath me. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and a shark is going to devour me. <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> It turned out to be a sea lion. And the people above looking down believed it to be keeping my body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. If you don't call that a miracle, I don't know what is. (laughs) I affectionately named the creature Herbert. Mm -hmm. Herbert saved my life that day. Thank you, Herbert. Thank you, Herbert. Coast Guard arrived. They were amazing. The doctor at the hospital, Dr. Jonathan Levin, who I just, just had a reunion with. After oh. twenty two years. Oh, wow. wow. Dr. Jonathan Levin. Um, he asked me to do the Grand Rounds speech at his event, at his uh at his possible uh, event, and he saved me the ability to stand, walk, and run. Wow. He performed a back surgery on me, the first of its particular kind. And I thought it was the only of its particular kind until recently when I learned from the doctors there that they took that surgery that he invented for me. Uh-huh. And have used it now thirteen times to save the lives of all the other jumpers off the Golden Gate Bridge that wow. have survived. Wow! So of thirty-nine survivors, less than one percent of those who jump in the last, you know, almost a century, we all have the exact same back surgery, same injury. Yeah, yeah. Because wow. they, they, they have they have effectively raised the mortality level of jumpers off the Golden Gate Bridge because of this because surgery. Of surgery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well. So I always look at life like I get to be here. Yeah. I get to be here. And getting to be here is a privilege and a gift, no matter the pain you might be in. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
3: Um, I just had one question that I'm
1: curious about, if you don't mind. Those four seconds. Yeah. Did did that feel like eternity? Like did did it feel like four seconds, or did it feel like what did what did that feel like?
3: Mm-hmm it actually felt like less than four seconds okay Mm. it felt like i went from the rail to the water immediately Mm. okay the the thing that occurs because the the fog in the area is the the fog when you're going that fast feels like shards of glass hitting your face wow uh yeah very scary yeah
0: My first thought that I have is I always say with my friend Jared, like with loss, I feel like comes just like great purpose and value and drive because with like the loss of his life, it has now fueled a lot of what I do to do stuff and I'm able to help save people. And the same goes for you that, you know, you had this event. Not only are you saving people's lives by talking about what you went through. But you're literally saving people's lives because you broke your back. And now this doctor has the surgery that he's been able to use on so many people. Yeah. Like that's that's not coincidence, you know? That's that's divine timing right there. Yeah. With that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're there, you have your surgery. What was recovery like? Because not only are you physically recovering, but I'm sure you're mentally recovering and I don't know, like are you asking yourself like like God why did it why why did you let me live? Like why am I living? Like what what was that time after like
3: for you? Yeah, so so you have to understand, like it, it I, I jump, I live. I'm I'm in the I'm in the physical hospital four and a half, five weeks, going from a wheelchair to a walk in a back brace to a back brace and a cane after my ten and a half hour back surgery to replace my shadow with titanium and, and a metal plate and metal cage. Um and then for, into my first psych court. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can't just go home after that, right? Yeah, yeah. and that was brutal because there were so many people in there that were so seemingly much more broken than I was mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the people I roomed with were just very—they were gone. Yeah. yeah, and it was vicious. And 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 and, and you know, uh, even in California, straitjackets were illegal mm-hmm. then, but they were still being used on all of us mm. when we were out of line. And you—you'd be placed in what—and uh, I was placed in a white wall padded room in a straitjacket. Um, which is the most restrictive thing you can imagine, which no one wants. Right. Oof. Um, and then I would have 10 psych ward stays after that until 2019 pre pandemic. But I will tell you that the most important psych ward stay for me was my third psych ward stay of 10. Okay. It mm. was where I had what I call my epiphany and the gift. Okay. Mm. The epiphany came in the form of my uncle, George. He was my favorite uncle on my mom's side. Mm. Um, He was a character, big old barrel belly, and (laughs) he made everyone in our lives laugh with terribly inappropriate jokes and still does to this day. (laughs) But on that day, he came to see me. He was in a really bad mood. It was my third psych ward stay, and he and my family were done. Mm. And he comes in with a rolled up magazine in his right hand, and he's got, he comes in on a special admit against visiting hours, and he goes, Kevin, your family can help you until we are blue in the face. But until and when, young man, you take 110% responsibility for the fact that you have this disease and you fight a tooth and nail kid, ain't nothing going to change. Do you want to be in and out of these places for the rest of your life? And I said, no, Uncle George. And he goes, well, get it together, kid. We're counting on you. And he walked out. Wow. Dropped the magazine, said, read it and walked out. I'm like, you're not my favorite uncle anymore. But he was <laughs> already gone. I pick up the magazine, Time Magazine article on how to fight bipolar depression, mental illness with regimen, routine, and win. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you mean I can do these things and I might actually feel better? Why did my first three psychiatrists say anything about this routine and regimen stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And so I I read the magazine article twice, how to build a routine with mental illness. And I go to my case manager, Jana from Brooklyn, tough lady. (laughs) And I say, Jana, um, you've got me on 10 forms of therapy and give me five forms of therapy and something productive to do. I'm bored. And I, and I basically Built a, a, a routine of like exercise, education, eating healthily, being honest in therapy. Who knew that was a good idea? You know, like <laughs> I just built a, a 10 step regimen on my own. But what I was going to do is change my world. I started getting better. And I'm in the hospital for two months because I'm waiting for a halfway home for the mentally ill. Nobody is willing to take me home, not my family, not my friends. Nobody is willing to house me. It's either get new halfway home for the mentally ill or be homeless.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So in this third psych ward stay. And the gift came in this moment where. Uh, this young man rolls in on a gurney. He's catatonic, meaning he can't move and he can't talk. Methamphetamines and other drugs. He had an overdose. And he comes in on a gurney. And it it really broke my heart because the staff of the hospital would not help him Hmm. because he couldn't help himself. So they roll him in a wheelchair into the cafeteria for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they'd leave him there in front of a tray of full food. And then when he couldn't eat it, they'd take that tray away full of food. He was starving. Yeah, And everybody else ignored him, staff patients. I would sit with him every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I would tell him stories with the hopes that I could elicit a response. Yeah, The most important part of this young man, his name is Eduardo, is that 15 to 22 people would come to visit him every day. Nobody comes to visit you at a psych ward. This kid had two entourages. It was beautiful. beautiful, beautiful Filipino, Spanish-American family. Gorgeous family. Every single day they were there. They couldn't even get in during visiting hours at the same time. Only two were allowed during the, uh, and you switch off during the hour. So they're all in the tiny waiting room with the wired glass, putting their hands on the wired glass.
1: Taking turns.
3: Taking turns. Wow. With this catatonic kid who couldn't even respond to them. I'm talking to him every day, trying to get him to break out of his shell. Finally, one day he goes like this. Jesus Christ, man, you talk too much. I know your whole life story, kind of guy, a break. People are clapping in the background. I mean, it was just the lady that was always clapping, but she meant it for me. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm thoroughly excited. Anyway, so I go to the, I go to my case manager again. Jana, I need a job. She goes, you want to volunteer for the psych ward you're staying? I said, yes. She said, Kevin, that's highly unethical, probably illegal. That's not going to happen. I said, well, Jana, can I at least have a hug? She said, get away from me. <laughs> Jana goes on vacation the next day. Tough lady. <laughs> yeah, tough lady. Jana, Jana goes on vacation the next day and the new case manager comes in. Certified San Francisco 1960s hippie. Huge salt and pepper hair out to here, curly fried and cued. lay of flowers around her neck she handpicked from her garden every morning and made herself flower in her right ear, tie-dye shirts that she claimed were different every day. It was the same shirt she smelled. <laughs> she claimed she, she had underarm hair. Um, <laughs> it was just her pride. That's fine. And, and so I end up uh, going to her. And I'm like, hey, me a job, and she's like, "You want to volunteer for the psych ward? That sounds like a lovely idea. What can we have you do?" And I said, "And so she goes. She turns around, and she, they they had left this lady alone at the nurse's psych ward station, which was huge and it was dangerous. She goes to the row of binders, twenty-two giant green binders. She says, "I know you can file these." I said, "What are they?" She said, "Patient binders. You ever heard of HIPAA privacy laws, nurse? Can't I, can't do that." She said, just do it alphabetically and don't look at the details. Don't look, look at the details. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I did it alphabetically and I didn't look at most of the details. So I finish filing the binder she gives me my next gig. Clean out the giveaway clothes closet. When people leave the hospital, they get something to wear. So I walk over there and I box, bin, label everything, separate it out. And I realize all the men's stuff sort of fits me. So I come out of the closet with a Ralph Lauren double-breasted polo suit and a 70s yellow-flared collar like some kind of gangster who owns the place. <laughs> and I walk up to the nurses' psych ward station and I five-finger discount a notebook, clipboard, and pen, and now I'm the official hospital documentee. It's just Leonardo the Ninja Turtle that I'm drawing. I still have that drawing. It's incredible. <laughs> and and I, I put it, you know, I'm working. I'm working there. It's my job. And the next day, I'm wearing a pink polo shirt, khaki cargo shorts, and sandals right out the box from the giveaway clothes because that fit me to the T. Wow. And I'm at the Nurses psycho Station, and if they've got one of those microphones that, you know, the drop-down mics from a boxing ring? Uh-huh. It looks like that, yeah. except with the stand on it. And, I, and I'm making the visiting hour announcements, and I'm rhyming them because that's more efficient. <laughs> and I get a tap on my left shoulder, and there she was. I oh,
1: don't know.
3: Her eyes were almond brown, sexy, and cool, and I was done. I was done. And I knew she'd be the rest of my life. I just didn't know how. And I was like, don't tell her that. That would be awkward. You just met her. And in front of the entire staff, everyone was like 20 people were there. She goes, Excuse me, do you work here? Just like that. And I was like, I said, as a matter of fact, miss, I am a volunteer. <laughs> and she and they didn't say anything because I worked too hard. And she goes, I'm looking for my cousin Eduardo. Do you know what room he's in? And I said, Madam, right this way. And I put my hand on the smaller of her back and her elbow and I glided her there, which she said was later just creepy. But I, I saw my dad do it once, but I get her to the room and the kid sees me and he hates me. I talk too much. Remember? And so this is her cousin, the kid at had the catatonia. And he sees me and I duck out into the hallway trying to be slick. And she goes, your nursing staff is so nice because I'm the only patient not in that hospital gown.
2: Right.
3: And, and, um, and of course the clipboard. And he goes, that guy? That guy's a nutball. <laughs> that guy jumps off bridges. Don't talk to that guy. <laughs> and I ran in there. I said, excuse me. It was one, one bridge. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and she goes, why'd you lie to me? I said, Margaret, I didn't lie to you. I am a volunteer at this very hospital. I just happen to also live here. And so, so she comes out and, and she ends up visiting Eduardo like every day. And, and, uh. He's about to get out of the hospital and she comes in one day and I, I muster up all my courage and I stop her short at the hospital room door. I said, Margaret, when I get out of here, could, could I like take you to coffee? And she smiled at me. So I was like, oh, I got this. And she looks around at the H-shaped side cord and she goes, oh, honey, hell no. <laughs> and I was destroyed, but I was persistent. <laughs> and so, exactly. so the kid gets out of the hospital for me, right? Okay. He's doing well. And by the way, he's sober and clean today. He's incredible. So he gets out of the hospital and I get out and I go to my halfway home. I get into the halfway home. I do my 30 days probationary period. Follow the rules, two of the tier, you're out of there. Okay. Yeah. I'm living off of three dollars a day. Social Security disability goes to the, goes to the house. I get I get three dollars. Wow. Buys me a cup of coffee at Tully's or half of a bagel. If Pete at Noah's is nice to me, he wasn't always nice to me, <laughs> right? So I start saving up the three dollars every day and eating the frozen food at the at the, at the halfway home. I'm saving up three dollars to take Margaret out to dinner. In my mind,
2: mm-hmm. I
3: call <laughs> Margaret thirty days into the to the halfway home. I say, Margaret, it's Friday. I'd like to take you to dinner. She goes. um... Uh, she was just so thrilled she couldn't find the words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Margaret, exactly. it's a date. If it goes south, you never have to see me again. She goes, Oh, okay. So excited. <laughs> <And> she, <laughs> we had a second date. And just this weekend, we had our 16 year wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I tell you the story because she is my best friend, my hero, my heart, my everything. And the reason I have survived chronic suicidal thoughts
2: mm-hmm. for the
3: last 20 years is because of Margaret Hines. She's the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, people said I was the luckiest man in the world to survive the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm the luckiest man in the world to have Margaret Hines. Mm-hmm. She's my greatest gift. Mm-hmm. And without her, I wouldn't be alive a thousand times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, we're working with producers right now on a scripted film version of the story mm. narrative film. And, uh, yeah, after the writer strike is over, uh, we're, we're, we're gonna, uh, attach writers and, um, and officially be in development. And we all can't wait to begin. And, I'm I'm just so blessed to, to be sitting with both of you. Cause I never thought this would be possible. Every moment, I get past the day I should have died is a gift.
2: Mm.
3: Every millisecond I get to breathe is a gift. Every person I get to meet is a gift. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me on this show. Mm. Of course. Of course. Well, I did
1: not know your guy's story. So that was. So Eduardo is your cousin. Wow. Did not see that twist coming.
0: I, I I was on the edge of my seat when he said, look into those brown eyes. And uh-huh. I was like, oh. I
1: was like, we're we talking about the brown eyes that I think we are talking about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your ability to like. Yeah. Just like laugh about literally like you're cracking jokes as you're saying, oh, I didn't die from jumping off a bridge. I'm going to die from a shark now. Like how? <laughs> Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, it's so cool that you're able to do
3: that. You have to find humor in the pain. Yeah. yeah. Because look, if I go to a speech and, and, you know, I travel 250 days a year telling my story. If I go to a speech and I leave the audience in pain, I've done my, I've not done my job. I've done a terrible job. Yeah. yeah. I can't do that. You know, if I have to go to a speech and I have to bring levity at every turn because how else are we going to hear this really it's a really it's a hard story to hear when you really break it. like like the, from the infancy to i mean you know uh i've been drinking till blackout in high school until i was 21 when i had alcohol poisoning and uh and and I, I i stopped i haven't touched alcohol since my my 21st birthday because of that alcohol poisoning like like there's so many aspects of the story and i think that's what i think that's what why people relate to it yeah because there's so many different things foster care um, birth parent, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole story affects somebody in some way, or you, or you meet people who lost loved ones to suicide. And like to people who have lost loved ones to suicide, I always say, hear me right now. It was not your fault. They didn't die because of you or in spite of you or something you said they died because of a lethal emotional pain that had nothing to do with you. Yeah. My sister blamed herself for the next 15 years from what I did. Mm. She became homeless because of it. You know, she nearly lost her life because of it, you know, and, and, and someone saved her in her most dire moment, you know, Mm. you know, those three questions I said, are you okay? Is something wrong? Can I help you? The questions I wanted desperately to be asked when I left off the Golden Gate Bridge, somebody walked up to my sister in her moment, right before she was going to kill herself and said, are you okay? And can I help you? That woman saved my sister's life. Wow. Gave her a home housed her, clothed her, fed her, saved her life in every aspect uh, that you could possibly imagine. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, if we just take away from this story that kindness and compassion, no matter what the person believes in, where they yeah. come from, what gender they are, what race they are, no matter any of that crap, no matter if they judge you, don't judge them, you don't know what they've been through. Yeah. For sure. You know nothing of what they've been through or what they're going through. Yeah just be kind compassionate loving caring empathetic and non-judgmental to every person you come across yeah yeah every person no matter what yeah because that kindness can go a long way yeah I did a speech at the lollapalooza of the crisis text line years ago and um and I told this story and I and I, and I talked about if you see that person on that park bench or that uh, or that bus bench and they're crying and their heads in their hands and they're in, in a desperate round of pain. Don't walk by them anymore. Yeah. Walk up to them and say something. You could save their life. Suicide prevention is everybody's responsibility. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's so true. And I feel like it's scary because it's like an unknown thing. They think you need to ask, like, do you want to commit suicide? Like, they think you need to ask that, but it's really just those simple questions. And I know for me, even with nursing, like when we do like the crisis scale on people you have to like ask them those questions and i've always just thought there's a different way to like approach it obviously when you're like medically there is a way to do it but i never felt comfortable doing it and i always questioned like how am i going to approach someone
2: yeah
0: and say that like i feel very uncomfortable asking my patient if like if they're debating like taking their life right now if they you know there's a there's a way to do it, which I think a lot of people don't fully understand. That it's literally just like pausing and talking to someone and just having an actual human conversation and asking a simple question Are you okay? Like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, checking in with someone.
3: I think, I think. Wh- Parents often ask me, like, "What do I say to my teenager? To ask to, how do I start that conversation?" Yeah, I'll say this first: the question, the conversation needs to be had at the breakfast, lunch, and dinner table of every home on a regular basis. More teens and children are dying by suicide than ever before in the history of this world. More yeah. seven to ten year old children are dying by suicide than ever before in the history of this world. More, more five to ten year old black children are dying by suicide than ever before in the history of this world. Wow. And so we have to look at our children who are being destroyed uh, by pain. And we have to we have to say it in a calm way, hey, and if you're in the hospital, it's like this, like, hey, um, you know, I I don't want to offend you, but I'm worried about you. Yeah, I'm worried about some of the things you've been exhibiting, and I want to ask you a couple of questions. But before I ask you those questions, I want you to be 100% honest with your response. <laughs> you're not in any trouble. These are important questions. They matter, and you matter. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you ever made plans to take your life? Do you right now have the means to do so? Mm-hmm. Wait for the response. If the response is no, what do you, why would you ask me that? Great. There you go. Great, quite, great answer. They're safe. Mm-hmm. You're not going to put the thought in their mind. But if this answer is like, how did you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Well, elaborate. What, what, what do I know? Well, I was thinking about uh, taking my life and I, and I, and I did have a plan and I, and I do have the means. Mm -hmm. Okay. What, what is bringing you to that conclusion? Why do you think Mm -hmm. you have to take your life? Yeah. Extend the conversation. Don't shut it off. Don't make them feel judged. Don't tell them they're wrong. Millions of people around the world have suicidal thoughts.
2: Yeah.
3: Millions upon millions. Yeah. They're not bad people. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. Don't make them feel stupid. It is normal. Normalize the conversation. Exactly, Taylor. Normalize the conversation. Yeah. Courage, normalize, question, recovery, conquer. Mm -hmm. Courage to talk about your mental health. Normalize the conversation. Ask those three questions. Are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you made plans to take your life? Do you have the means? Recovery, R, is living proof. Yeah. I'm living proof. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, the biggest thing people don't, like get wrong about me, I think when I, when I meet them in person um, is they think I'm healed and recovered. Right. I'm not recovered. Right. I'm in like recovery. Like one would be from substance use or like my birth parents would be if they were still alive. Like I'm in recovery every day. I struggle every day. I'm struggling now. Yeah. I have paranoid delusions. I have hallucinations. I have depressions. I have many, I have it all. Yeah. But I have the tools to cope with it and to always survive it. Yeah. The two things I do every time I'm suicidal and I'm suicidal uh, a lot of the time. Mm. Chronic thoughts of suicide, they plague me. Mm. Two things I do every time. Two things I teach people around the world to do. Find a mirror, any mirror, anywhere. Look in that mirror and say these words. My thoughts do not have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. Mm. The second thing you need to do is turn to the closest person to you and say four simple but very effective words. I need help now. Mm -hmm. Make that your shorthand for when you're suicidal. Tell everybody who loves you what that shorthand is so they know what to do. Mm -hmm. I need help now. And if you don't know the person, it doesn't mean they can't help you. It means you need to work and say those words until you find someone willing to empathize. Don't stop until you find that person or those people. Say it until you get the help you need. Yeah. Yeah. And for the people listening who 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 think that someone might say that to them, and and the people listening who have someone come to them and say they're suicidal, my suggestion is to sit with them. Just physically be there, open your ears, listen to understand, not to respond. Yeah. Mm. Hear what they're going through. Yeah. yeah. Feel what they're going through, and let them know there are other options. Yeah. Let them know that hope is on around the corner. But you have to put in the hard work, the effort, and the time and the energy to get to that hope. Yeah. It doesn't just come naturally for all of us. Right. And not everybody has a support network like I have, but I didn't always have a support network when my family abandoned me. For sure. I built that. Yeah. I created that. So every technique, every tool you can learn. Google University, YouTube University, do your homework. Yeah, Go to my channel. I've got 700 videos designed to help you better your brain health. Yeah. Take them. They're free. They're yours. Yeah, We have to be willing to learn from others how yeah. to survive for ourselves. Yeah. And if we are truly alone, if we truly have no one,
2: mm-hmm.
3: we have to become our best advocate. We have to be the ones that say, I'm not going to let these thoughts take me from this world. I deserve to be here until my natural end, never to die in my hands. Yeah, Mm. It's a matter of perspective and perception. Change yours now. Yeah.
1: I love listen to understand and not to respond because I think so many people just need to be hurt. I mean, it was like you on that day, that morning, like you just... If you would have been heard, it might have prevented that. And I think that's just like listening to people and just letting them know that, you know, there's there are people out there that, you know, want to hear what they're going through and just care what they're going through. Like that alone can help save lives. Um, you've petitioned in the past about this net surrounding the Golden Gate. And I believe you probably can update me. Is that coming to completion this year? As it yet, and what were your first thoughts when you heard that they were going to do it, and you saw that net for the first time?
3: So there has been an 87-year multiple effort to raise the rail or net at the Golden Gate Bridge. I didn't know that seven all. fights that failed. Wow, one fight that is succeeding. Wow, in 2006. The film, The Bridge, came out by Eric Steele. Mm -hmm. My father and I were featured in it, documentary, for 10 minutes. It was said and claimed by many to be the most uh, poignant part of the film. The film goes on to be critically acclaimed and then also damned by people who didn't get what he was doing. Um, But he showed people dying off the Golden Gate Bridge Mm. and said, why is this happening? What are we going to do about it? There was no bias in the film, pure and simple. These people are dying. It's a public health crisis. Why do we allow it to still go on? Yeah. My father, Paul Muller, and Dave Hall founded the Bridge Rail Foundation right after that film came out. I was a founding board member. We fought for 23 years to raise the net at the Golden Gate Bridge to effectively stop the suicides there forever. Yeah. The net was approved on June 27, 2014. Delays ensued all the way until now. It is 70% complete across the bridge that is 360,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. It will be done by December of this year. Not one more soul will ever again die off the Golden Gate Bridge, and it will become the largest, brightest, most powerful beacon for suicide prevention right around the world. It's going to be incredible. We all worked for so long to make this happen. A great group of small people, small group of light many people got together and said no more. Um, and consequently we're making a film called The Net, a documentary uh, about the uh, the journey to, to this point. Uh, it's going to be one of the most historic uh, films of its kind because nothing like this has ever been done yeah. on the most frequented spot for suicide in the world. Yeah, This is one of the most special things I've ever been involved in. Can't imagine. I can't wait for The Net to be done so that no one else has to die at the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> And now what's happening is because of this fight, the Bridge Rail Foundation is opening up itself up to teach people how to change policy. We change policy here. We can do it anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To change policy in tall building structures, building bridges, and railways to stop suicides around the world by reduction of access to lethal means, which we know saves lives. Why? Because when you show people in a community that you care, it sends a message to the rest of the people. When they put up a net of railing at a bridge, suicides drop there to zero, they drop in the metropolitan counties around that area because you've shown people a community that you care and that people matter, yeah and that they're important that they're valued, that they're loved yeah and they actually see what happens in those places and they go, "I need help now," and they get it. yeah, because I imagine sometimes it just it takes that that moment
1: like it back to just realizing that people care and just seeing that alone could change somebody's mindset. That's really special. Um,
3: That's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, I'm happy to say there's already been one save. Someone didn't realize there was a net jumped in the net part, part of it and and was saved the next day. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Truly amazing. You and your wife have your foundation can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Cause you guys are really changing the game and changing the
3: world. So, uh, we, we travel the world, uh, sharing stories, uh, to all all walks of life. You know, um, one, one of the biggest things we we do is work with the military. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do that because, uh, so many of our servicemen and women are dying by suicide every day. Um, you know, the, the number is 22 a day, but it's far more than that because it's so underreported. <laughs> yeah. And we work with law enforcement because it's a huge, uh, a huge, uh, death rate for suicide. Doctors mm. and lawyers, huge death rate for suicide. We work with them as well. Mm. And, and we, we actually, uh, we gave, uh, scholarships for youth to go to suicide prevention conferences and, and try to be, to join the field, to become, therapists and clinicians and doctors. Mm. Um, So we've done a lot of that work. But we are uh, focused with all that we're doing more on our film endeavors and creating content that uh, is science-backed, evidence-informed, proven to change people's minds, perspectives, and perceptions so that when they're suicidal, they can watch these videos and films and choose life. We made a film called Suicide, the Ripple Effect a few years ago. Um, it, It came out in 2018 it's been credited with saving over 700 lives. It's been seen by 2 million people in 20 different countries. And that's why we're continuing to make documentary films that yeah. have that similar effect. Yeah. Um. But obviously with, with all that work, we, you need help to do it and, and to scale it. And so we're looking for people around the world who have the same mission who help to fund these projects. And, yeah. Um, and, and they're, they're vast and they're expansive, but you have to understand that they are absolutely saving lives. We don't call ourselves lifesavers. Like, like, I'm a conduit. I give a message. Yeah. I, I give a message. People go home. They do the work. They're really saving and changing their own lives. I'm just the, the guy that got them to think about what they're going to do to change their position in life. Um, that's how I see it. But, but I can say that people credit us in these films with saving their lives. And as far as the YouTube channel is concerned, we get thousands of letters saying that this or that video saved my life. And then the people write it, and they say this video saved my life. And continues every time I become suicidal because I'm yeah. learning that so many people have chronic suicidality, but they never knew how to say it out loud. They never used the, the terminology before. Yeah. yeah, chronic suicidal thoughts, which people don't really understand, but they're they're thinking of putting it into the next DSM uh, uh, on um, on on mental illnesses. So it's 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 in the handbook of mental illnesses. So it's going to be um, a continued effort uh, until we die of natural causes, never by our hands. To make these films and these types of viral videos, so that they um, can have an effect on lives and change lives uh, forever. And when I when I think about the, the impact it's had, um, personally, hundreds of thousands of people have written to me and said the video I saw, the story you shared, the speech you gave, or, or seeing you in person, yeah. saved my life. And th- there's nothing more therapeutic in the world than something like that. Yeah. I I actually stopped going to therapy regularly because. I get so much from my family and friends, and from the people who come see me that I I, I I I'm not saying I don't need therapy. I love to talk; you can tell. But but I love therapy. But but I don't need to do it now. I do it once a month or something. I don't right. do it every week now yeah. because um, because I volunteer for a cause yeah. that is bigger than myself. And when people volunteer for a cause, they're sixty three percent more mentally healthy than those that do not. Mm-hmm. So give back wherever you can. Yeah, you know. So we, we we do a lot in that realm, and and we're working very hard to make those things real and and to have them change lives. We're working on some projects with addictions and and substance use issues, and obviously mental health. But we try to do it in subtle, moderate, mild to somewhat overt. You know, it depends on the project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow! 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 So yeah. special, guys. Yeah. If there is somebody listening right now at this moment. That is, you know, struggling with the thought of taking their life. What would you say to them?
3: For all of you right now who are listening, viewing, watching, who are considering dying by suicide, stop. Take a breath. Take 30 more resonance breaths. In through your nose for four seconds, hold for four seconds, release six to eight seconds with pursed lips like a whistle, but no sound. Do it 30 or more times. Bring your body and your mind to a calm. It will, I promise. Breathe. We're all going to pass away someday. None of us have cracked the code to immortality. I beg of you, please give yourself time plus hard work for things to change. There is no uberfication of your wellness. There's no one pill to take. There's no one exercise to do. You will only improve 1% a day with effort, energy, and time. You deserve this life until your natural end. You are beautiful just as you are. You are a thousand times greater than the worst thing you ever have done. You're meant to be here. Please, please stay. Be here tomorrow and every single day after that. And if nobody else says it today, we love you and we want you to stay. We love you.
0: Yes, we do love you. And Kevin, we love you. And we are so thankful for you and for your story and for the work that you do. And
1: thank you for being here. And thank you for being here. Thank you for... Just sharing your story continuously and inspiring people and um, just doing what you do. You're a very special human being and we're beyond thankful to have you and to have met you here in person.
3: Ditto. Sweet.
1: Ditto. Well, thank you, Kevin, for sharing your story with all of us and being so vulnerable and I mean I was holding back tears there I don't even know
0: I didn't hold back back. I couldn't hold back tears I know um yeah I mean I talked about it a little bit during the interview but parallels that you know Kevin's story has to my friend Jared who unfortunately isn't with us anymore definitely kind of took over me and our creeping in as i'm talking about it now yeah. um uh, but it's just so cool that you know kevin's like he's here today he's living he's gets to share you know his story and just help save so many lives Oh yeah, he's and truly people. changing
1: the world I yeah mean, saving lives on yeah. the daily
0: yeah and We've, then
1: once this net yeah is fully complete i mean it's yeah. already saved yeah. somebody's life but yeah
0: he's it just it's 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 just amazing. It's really like at a loss for words and we're so thankful for Kevin. And again, if you guys have any more questions about us, thoughts, want to further your education on suicide and suicidal ideation, head to our previous episode with Dr. Chase Anderson. It's the second half of our episode. We kind of go over the basics there. So I highly encourage you guys to do that. As always, make sure you guys subscribe and are following us you can email us at lautner.thesqueezepodcasts at gmail.com for any stories, comments, concerns. Uh, Last episode, we introduced our key time with Tay. So if you guys need Mm -hmm. any life advice, any requests on anything, anything you guys want us to talk about, you could send it there. Um, We always do question boxes on our Instagram at the squeeze. Uh, We newly have a TikTok called the squeeze podcast. So lots of, Lots of social media for you guys to check out and be inspired um, and get some good, you know, wholesome, encouraging content. Yeah. But we're very thankful for you guys. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Yeah. And go take that workout class because um, (laughs) I did it and you can do it too. And we'll see you guys next week.
1: All right. See ya.